are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I'm talking this month on the matter of revival and soul winning, and I'm anxious we should have great citywide revival campaigns run by fundamental Bible believers only in America. I'm having such a campaign, God willing, in Columbus, Georgia, February 1 to 20, and I want friends to pray for that campaign. Now, in the matter of a great revival, there's no, there's no substitute for broken-hearted praying, for persistent praying, for believing prayer. And uh, there are certain things that hinder prayer, and so they hinder revival. I'd like to talk to you about some of the things that hinder prayers, especially prayers for revival, because if you don't have the power of God, all the rest of it won't do it, you know. We must have God's great blessing, the power of the Holy Spirit upon us to bring people into the meetings and to convict sinners and save them. And so I want to talk about hindered prayer. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verses 1 and 2, the Lord says, Here, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. I must say it again, there's no way to separate in a blessed revival campaign with God's people and evangelism, or no way to keep us in an evangelistic campaign that doesn't mean dealing with God's own people about their sins and their need to get right with God so God can bless and answer their prayers, so God can give the great ingathering among lost people. You must not try to separate what God has put together, that is revival among the people of God and evangelism among the lost, they go together. Anytime God's people really get right, they'll try to win souls as Jesus commanded, and anytime that God's blessed powers there to bring in lost people. It's because Christians do their part, and God connects that everywhere. Now, about my prayer, God wants to answer prayer. How often all through the Bible are sweet promises and sweet invitations to prayer and pleadings with us that we should pray, and God commands us to pray. And so Christians then ought to be able to get things from God. God isn't changed. He says the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. God can give great revivals. God can build great soul-winning churches again. But he said, the Lord's hand is not shortened, his ear is not heavy. God's open to prayer when Christian people cry to him. Then why are your prayers not answered? Perhaps because of sin. Your sins, you said, have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. So sin does hinder revival, and sin does hinder Christians getting what they ought to get from God. And I want to talk to you about some of the things that hinder your prayers. And if you take it to heart, and if I take it to heart, then surely God will help us to win those we ought to win and have the power God wants to give us. Let's see, first of all then, our prayers are often hindered by the wrong kind of home life. 
wrong things at home. Oh, you know, it's not so hard to be a, a good Christian in public. That is to be a Pharisee in public. You can usher, and you can put in your, your gift in the services, and you can, oh, you can take part in all, of course, everybody know a good Christian. But where it takes real grace to be a Christian is seven days a week, 30 days in a month, and 31 days some months back in your home the year round. And so in First Peter chapter 3, the Lord says, Now likewise your wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be one with the conversation of the wives, while behold your chaste conversation with fear. Now verse 7, Likewise your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The Lord had just said, Servants, obey your masters, in the preceding chapter. He said, Citizens, obey the rulers. And now he said, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your husbands. And when it comes to husbands, he closes up the matter, and it does not say for them to be subject to wives or others, but he said, Likewise, your husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And then as a summing the matter up further, he quotes from the 34th Psalm in verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Oh, then, if you want prayers answered, and God to give, save the loved ones and save the children, husbands and children, then go back at home and make things right there. Many a woman, she hinders the salvation of her husband because though she made a vow to love and honor and obey, uh, yet she makes up that she makes a perjury of her soul every day. She's a rebel. She breaks her marriage vow, and then she wonders why her husband is not saved. If you want to win your husband, you set out to obey him, like the Lord said. Well, somebody says, "I don't believe that." Well, then uh, you're in bad shape, aren't you? A Christian doesn't believe the Bible. Why don't you just take your scissors and cut that out like any other infidel would? No, Bible. the Bible says a wife can win her husband, but she's to set out to obey her husband as she promised and as God has commanded. And like Sarah obeyed Abraham, the next verse or so says, and then you can win him. If he wouldn't listen to the word, he'll listen to a wife who loves him and makes him happy and keeps her vow. So the scripture says, and then the scripture says, likewise, you husband dwell with him according to knowledge. Yes, God has a burden on a man. A man may hinder their life in the home, and so the children grow up wild, and they drop out of school, or they take up dope, or they're lewd and troublesome. It can happen partly because of a husband, too, if he does not live in the home according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. That is, a man ought to say, God put me as the head of this home. Like Joshua, who said, it's for me and my house will serve the Lord, I ought to say, I'll see to it, my family serves God. And a man ought to say, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to sit out to so love my wife and my children and love God, and I'll be strict disciplinarian if I ought to and as I can and should, and I'll get my family saved. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, says the word of God. Oh, how many people they hinder the blessing
blessing of God back in their own homes. If we can only have a revival in the homes, everywhere I'm going, I'm urging people to set out again to have a time when the whole my family gathers and reads the Bible together, at least one chapter a day, and then a circle of prayer for everybody in the family every day. Oh, I beg you to do it. And I'm offering a wonderful gift of one of my books for the family that does that if you fill out certain requirements, as I mentioned in the Sword of the Lord. Oh, the home life, that's where the power of God is dissipated. That's where we find the lost loved one can't be won. If we go home, we'll be home good to back in our homes and have a revival there. Now, a revival of love and kindness and courtesy, a revival of discipline, but a revival of prayer and Bible reading and teaching in the home. And God send it in America. How America must have it. We need it. Well, then, if you're going to have it wrong in the home, means that, God, your prayers are hindered. That's what it said. Let your prayers be not hindered. You wives obey your husbands. You husbands being remember them, and you take your part, as God said, according to knowledge, and uh, then God can hear your prayers. Well, things must be settled in a secret place and back at home. Now, what else hinders our prayer? Well, being wrong with others, too. I turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24. There the Lord has said that one who has a hatred in his heart and a scorn for others, it'll hinder his prayers. And uh, he said, Whoso shall say, Thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. And then Jesus said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there uh, thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. What is Jesus saying here? Here's a Jew under the ceremonial law. He brings a lamb to the temple. It's a male lamb of the first year. He says, isn't that a beautiful thing? That's the best I've got, and I'm bringing it just like God says to offer it here. And God says, don't put that on my altar. What's the matter, Lord? You've got some debts unpaid. You've got somebody you wronged and don't make it right. You can't make up a life that's wrong by offering a sacrifice to God. That's not enough. Well, he said, what'll I do? He said, leave your gift right there at the altar and go be reconciled first and then come and offer your gift. Let's say God is saying you can't give God anything he wants unless your heart turns to do right toward others. The Lord is saying that uh, you can't be wrong, right with God if you're wrong with anybody else. So first, go be reconciled to thy brother. Somebody wrong, go make it right. Some debt, go pay it. Some apology you ought to make, go and make it, and then you can have the blessing of God. So uh, you don't need to offer God sacrifices and go to church and give your tithes and sing songs and hear sermons. That don't do any good unless your heart turns to make things right with other people. You know, being a Christian is not just primarily going to church Sunday and looking pious. That means that it ought to be oh, to be right with everybody and treat everybody right and make right the things that are wrong. So God is teaching here. And leave it and be reconciled. There's some of you people, you want your boy saved, you better go pay up on his debts. I had a letter some years ago from a merchant at Center, Texas. And he said, Brother Rice, I've been hearing you on the radio. And he said, uh, the other day a man walked into my store and moved out of our community 10 years ago. He owed me $25. He said, I never hoped to get it. And he said, he walked in and paid that money. And I said to him, this merchant writes me, he said, I never expected 
expected to get that, and I marked that off the books. He said, yes, and I never expected to pay it, but he said, I have a lost boy, and I can't win him. And Brother Rice on the radio said that if, um, if I didn't pay up my honest debts, then I couldn't expect to have the blessing of God on my prayers and couldn't get my boy saved. I've got to get right, so he paid the $25. And the merchant said, well, I, I heard another preacher one time say people ought to pay the debts. I gave him, uh, gave him $5, and I'm planning to send you 15 He said, I've got another 10 He said, if you hear somebody else preach on that, I'm going to give him the other 10 And I preached on it right away, but he didn't hear me, I guess. But I want you to see this. And God wants people to make it right with other people if you expect God to hear your prayers. And so I know this is true then. All over America, I find when they have a blessed revival, we find people paying up bad debts and making apologies to those they have wronged. And, oh, we need to do that. We need to do that. Uh, go be reconciled. Make things right. I was in Greenville, South Carolina, years ago on a citywide campaign. In that big hall, I remember that uh, uh, we... I preach plain and sharp, and God begins to deal in the town. It's a very religious town, and for time, things look hard, but oh, she began to break. And in the daily newspaper, a news reporter said, a strange thing happened today. He said, I was in the, I believe, in the, in the Woolworth store, and he said, talking to the manager, and your boy came in about 11 years old, said, I want to see the manager. And the manager, laughing, they pointed to the reporter and said, that's the manager. And the reporter said, no, he's the manager. And that boy said, now here, I've got to know I want to see the manager. Uh, and so the manager said, well, I'm the manager. What is this, son? He said, oh, you're 45 cents. I sold nine packages of gum. I've got to pay for it. Well, the manager said, well, son, that's so nice of you to bring back, but you don't have to pay for it. Oh, yes, he said, I do. I've got to pay for it. And he paid it, and with eyes full of tears, he walked out. And the reporter said, that's a strange thing, isn't it? And he said, went over to the Belks Department Store in Greenville, and I'm talking to a uh, floor manager there, floor walker, one department manager, and said, um, here came a woman in and brought some things back, and said, I took this off the, off the counter. I'm a shoplifter. I've got to bring this back. And he said, the uh, floor manager said, that's the two or three two or three times that's happened this week already. And the newspaper reporter said, what's happened in this town? Or what happened in the town was there's some plain old-fashioned Bible preaching and people trying to make things right with about their sins. And if you don't do that, then we'll never have any revivals in this country. God's people must turn from their sins if we want God to hear us prayer, a hindered prayer because of our sins. Well, let's see how then we must forgive. In Mark 11, 25, 26, the Lord Jesus said, But if when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. Or if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Oh, grudges, how God hates them. And if you want God to be pleased with you, you must turn uh, from that unforgiving heart and, and, and forgive and love people who wrong you. And uh, forgive those that don't deserve forgiveness. And then what? Any known sin, unconfessed and unlamented, can hinder your prayers. So in Psalm 66, 18, the Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Note carefully, it's not if I have ever done iniquity. We all have. That's not the point. But if I still love it and hold on to it and excuse it, and if I say it's not so bad, oh, as long as I do that, then the Lord will not hear me. 
uh, to love sin and hold on to sin, excuse your sin. That means that God displeased and he withholds his blessing. If we want genuine revival in this country, in your church, in your town, in a local group, in your family, if you want revival, that means you better find out sin that's in the way and confess it and forsake it. That's right. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now that's sin. What is that sin? What is it? Lewdness in your heart and evil thoughts and trashy literature and profane and lewd language. Is it that? I don't know. What is it? Young people out yonder in adultery or necking and petting and uh, lewdness and dirty picture shows and dirty books. I don't know. What is it? Is it the taint of um, of money that dishonest money what is it stolen things not restored what is that sin is it no family altar in the home no prayer no bible reading with the children what is that sin is it um, robbing god and going on using without the tithes and offerings god commands his people to give to him i do not know what it is but you'd better seek it out sin unconfessed and unlamented hinders our prayer and if god's people get to where they hate their sins and turn from their sins and god will hear and give blessed revivals i want you to pray with me that god will raise up in america some great men of god in citywide campaigns big campaigns and neutral big auditoriums to reach the great multitude of common people everywhere and not only the church people i have been speaking on uh, God's way about revival, and I'm going to take one of the greatest texts on revival in the Bible. Oh, how many thousands of preachers have preached on it from Second Chronicles 7, 14. And let's read verse 13 and 14. Second Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14. If I shut up heaven, let there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now you'll notice here the Lord's talking about the anger of God on Israel. And here he makes a great promise to Israel. However, I want you to remember in 1 Corinthians, the Bible plainly says that all these things happen unto them for in samples and that they are written for our admonition on whom the ends of the world are come. So when God deals with Israel, he's giving a sample of how God acts and how God loves and how God forgives and how God rewards and how God punishes. And so now I said, as my people sinned, there's a way to get forgiveness. There's a way to get blessing. Has there been a curse on the land and the drought and pestilence and locusts and plagues? And because of God's anger, your sin, there's a way to get the blessing. He said, if my people shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, it is true that the Lord does not say in this scripture, now if the people in the United States of America will do so and so, God didn't need to. God hasn't changed. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His arm is not shortened and his ear is not heavy. The Lord doesn't change in his loving attention to people and his willingness to save and bless. So I call your attention then to this as it relates to America and not only to the whole America, but to your state and to your city and to your community and even to your family. Here the Lord said, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. You know, 
American people ought to be alarmed. I think sensible, reverent people, many of us, are alarmed at what's going on in America. The constant increase in crime, the breakdown in law and order, the um, uh, increase in divorce, the widespread lewdness and adultery everywhere, the robbing and breaking in, uh, how America in infidelity turning away from God and the Bible, the schools turning away to, from old-fashioned Americanism and teaching a kind of a, a Marxism, socialism, and infidelity. I say America is sure far gone, and we do need a blessed revival for the nation. But this, um, this speaks for a revival anywhere. Here's God's principle, and God doesn't change. God hates sin and punishes sin, but when God's people turn to seek his face, they can find his blessing. Well, you note now first about this matter of a revival. It depends on the people of God. It doesn't depend on the devil's crowd. Somebody says, oh, if the devil's crowd, if they'd all turn and serve the Lord, they won't until God's people meet God's requirements. Well, somebody says, I wonder why God doesn't give revival. God's waiting on his people. There's an old saying, let me tell you again. People say, well, revivals are not worked up. They're prayed down. Uh, that's part false and part true. Revivals are both worked up and prayed down. Well, somebody said revivals come from God. Yes, but they come from God only when God's people meet the requirements God sets out for revival. You see, it takes both God and people to save a soul. God never saves a sinner unless some Christian takes the gospel. God never does bring a revival to a city or to a church unless somebody waits on God and seeks the face of God and meets God's requirements. And so here he said, this depends on my people. If my people that are called by my name, he means here not just simply some religious people, some cult and something without any relation to Christ and salvation, the historic Christian faith. Certainly he must mean the people of God, born again people who believe the Bible, and revival depends on them. It is true that the infidel crowd, I mean the liberal crowd, that scoff at the virgin birth and mock at the deity of Christ and spit on the Bible, that crowd could not bring a revival. They need somebody to pray for them. Oh, but God's people can. The born-again people of God can meet God's requirements and have revival. Remember Jesus said he looked on the multitude with as sheep with no shepherd, and he said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. God wants to send revival, but he waits for workers. He waits on Christians. The trouble not with the harvest, it's with the laborers. The trouble not with the world, it's with the church. The trouble is not with the devil's crowd, it's with the Lord's crowd. The curse on America is not only nor primarily from the bartenders and the bootleggers and the booze sellers and the drinkers and cussers. The trouble is with the saved, the people of God. Uh, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. God wants spirit-filled workers with the power of God on them, and then God will use them to save souls. And so here is a here's a panacea for revival. Here's God's recipe for revival. Here's an outline God gives about how God's people can have such blessed revival. Well, somebody said, but Brother I said, wickedness everywhere. I know. But don't you remember that in Romans uh, 5.20, the Scripture says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, more grace than all the sin around us. Or somebody said, but Brother Ice, we're in the last day. 
days and is falling away. Well, the term the last days in the Bible means this whole New Testament age. And it doesn't mean God has changed. It doesn't mean God won't answer prayer. It doesn't mean that the gospel is not the power of God to salvation. No, no, no. Don't make excuses. This waits on God's people. If my people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way. Now, what is this simple outline for God's people to follow who want a blessed revival? We're to humble ourselves. There ought to be a sense of need. There ought to be a sense of genuine pain and trouble over the sin about us. You remember in Ezekiel chapter 8 and 9, is it? God said, Ezekiel, I'll show you why I allowed the captivity of Israel. And he caught him in the spirit up and took him in the spirit back to see what had happened in Jerusalem when there was an idol in the very house of God, in the court of the Lord's house. And when he showed them the imagery rooms and the hearts of the people filled with all lewd and wicked things. And then he showed him how though Babylonian army had destroyed Jerusalem, back with those armies and dealing um, in the unseen world were the messengers of God. He said, I saw four men, their angels with destroying weapons in their hand, and one man in a white garment with an ink horn by his side. And to the man in the ink horn, God said, Go through the city of Jerusalem. He said, Everywhere you find somebody that sighs and cries for the abomination and the sin of the people, when you find somebody like that, put a mark on their forehead. And he came back and reported, It is done. And then yeah, the, the Lord spoke to the angels with the destroying weapons, Go through and destroy. Begin in the temple itself and with the old men, and then destroy old men and young, and young men and maiden. Uh, you see, God was so concerned to have somebody that sighs and cries for the abominations around us. We need people to be broken in heart. I remember that when Nehemiah heard about... Uh, the destruction in Jerusalem. He's over in Babylon. The walls are torn down in Jerusalem. The gates are burned with fire. The little handful of people are in great reproach. And he sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. We need a humility of heart, a sense of our need. We ought to have also a sense of our sin. We 